at GBQ. We're always counting. Now we're making your time count with this episode of Empower Hour. Start the clock. Today, David Kofer, Director of Partnerships and Programs with Columbus State Community College, joins us at Empower Hour. Welcome, David. Doug, thanks so much for having me. So I want to talk about some of the things that you're doing at Columbus State, but I have to tell you um, a little bit of a confession. It feels like that fisherman that has a has found a great fishing hole and he doesn't want to share it with any of his friends. Tremendous program, as we've discovered, but I'm a little nervous sharing because there's only so many interns. So tell us, let's just start from the top. Tell us a little bit about the program over at Columbus State and, and what you're doing there with the community and helping to develop talent for those in the business world. Absolutely. And I really do appreciate the opportunity to, to share this story, Doug. You know, one of our principal responsibilities here at the college, right, is to find meaningful ways for our students to intersect with employers in the local community, whether it be for internships, part-time employment, and or full-time employment upon completion of their degree or certificate program here at the college. We have about a decades-long history of formal programs that introduce students into the workplace while still a student here at the college. And that goes back to our modern manufacturing work-study program, a program that we spun up with Honda about a decade ago in direct response to their anticipated shortage of equipment service technicians. And uh, out of that program, all of the other structured earn and learn programs have really been built upon the backbone of that program, our IT flexible apprenticeship program, and even other more customized kind of nuanced opportunities, including those in which that first engaged us with GBQ around getting accounting students. It was not quite MMWS. It was not quite ITFA, but its structure was very much informed and influenced by the learnings coming out of those programs. So again, thank you to Honda for so many great things that they've contributed to this community and, and to us as well, because now again, about a decade ago, we got started down this path. And, and, and I want to highlight something real quick, too, about why earn and learn is so important. So many of our students, they're working already anyhow, right? This notion of going to school exclusively without having to be employed, that's a luxury that many of our students are just not familiar with. So they're working. We know they're working. So if they're going to work, let's have them work good jobs, right? Let's have them working jobs that are aligned with their career aspirations. Let's have them working jobs that pay a decent wage. Right. And that's why, again, these structured earn and learn programs are just really invaluable for both students and our employer partners. It impacted us. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that accounting impact. Uh, I think probably half of the Empower Hour episodes have brought workforce development, either the supply problem, the development problem, the challenge businesses have in finding talent. You know, a lot of us references back to the pandemic, but we were kind of already headed towards this demographic cliff in a lot of ways. From an accounting perspective, there aren't as many students entering school as a generation ago, and less students are choosing accountants. So accounting is their is their degree. And so I think we came to you in the middle of that great migration and said help and produced five apprentice candidates. Four of them have now been extended as as GBQ employees and we've Picked up another four that we've added in is, is at staff level intern intern apprentice is your term to add and and if the first flight the first cohort means anything that second four will probably stay here talking to Beth our HR person about four percent of our workforce are Columbus State students mm-hmm. 
they've been tremendous from everything I've heard from the, I'm not in the accounting world, obviously, but from our accounting world, just tremendous impact. I so appreciate Darcy reaching out. It was uh, summer of 21 where the conversation first began. And I, I think it was a critical set of internal conversations that GBQ had worked their way through. That I think a lot of employers are confronting right now, which is this analysis across the entire enterprise of what's really required to successfully perform any one of our roles, right? These positions that have always traditionally required a four-year degree is that's what's really required to execute the job with success. And I think GBQ's analysis was, no, we have some positions here that for a long time, we've had this minimum requirement, bachelor's degree. On review, that's not the case. Whether that was spurred by an equity conversation internal to our employer partners, whether it was out of necessity and, and the challenges of the labor market, frankly, we don't care because it, it represents opportunity for our students, right? And I think what's happening is for those employers who are conducting that examination and concluding, no, these positions that have historically required a bachelor's degree can be effectively fulfilled by a two-year degree holder and or a student pursuing a two-year degree, our students are demonstrating that, yes, we are more than capable to come in and meet the expectations of the of the job. I think it was a combination of things internally. One was if you step back and look at the trends in the world right now, there is a demographic issue and it's a math problem. If we don't find other sources, other communities of people to bring into the workforce, we're not going to have enough people. Uh, simple math. And then if you look at positions and you say, you know, somebody with a CPA generally is at the top of a project, they're doing client service, they're developing relationships. We need to free them up to be able to do those things. There's things that that four-year degree student in working towards a CPA needs to be doing. There's a lot of work that, yeah, doesn't need that, that horsepower. And then Columbus State's a little bit different. Um, and I don't want to talk about your students. Uh, I, I know in general, not, not specific examples, but they've come to us a little bit more mature than a year or two years out of high school. Can you talk about the, the transition that so many of your students are going through and why that's actually a benefit to an employer? Yeah, I mean, you hit on a, a wonderful point around the value proposition associated with our very diverse student population, Doug, and that is so many people at various stages in their lives, their personal professional journeys can find their way to a community college, right? We have late middle schoolers and high schoolers who are enrolled in our courses, and we have people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s and beyond, right? The community college is a popular place for folks to return to after spending some time possibly in the workplace. They could be existing four-year degree holders and beyond in different disciplines who find their way back to the community college to rescale or to upscale. And I think what that means is that, yes, it's not uncommon at all to find within our student population individuals with a lot of life experience, a lot of personal and professional maturity. And that translates to a very effective worker because they've worked before. They have familiarity with the workplace. So for every recent high school grad who is kind of navigating that space for the first time, we have a more experienced individual who's really just looking to make a hard right or left turn in their career professionally, get the skills required to make that that turn. But no, absolutely, they bring great personal and professional maturity into the workplace. I think you, you think about all of our apprentices, I believe, were in their second year when we started working with them. 
if you count life experience, you and I went to both went to Miami of Ohio, right? That common experience, four year degree. Looking back, uh, my geology class has not come to work with me ever, and some of those other other course requirements have have never um, really impacted me. But a, a lot of these students are bringing life experience, or our cybersecurity apprentice is a PhD, was a history professor, and decided to go back. So tremendous set of skills. But we're you're really that second year in your program, you're hiring at least a junior mm-hmm. in college, not a freshman, sophomore. Is then that's been my experience in interacting with all the students. Yeah, that's also folks who are less familiar with the structure of community college, better understanding how our plans of study flow and the cadence of them. Our students are getting no fewer technical courses than a four-year degree holder. They're just taking fewer gen eds. So that means they get into their technical coursework, whatever technical it is. That could be IT technical, accounting technical, whatever it might be. They're getting to those sooner and they're running through them faster, right? So to your point, Doug, a, a student who is in their second year of community college is really from a technical coursework consumption standpoint on par with a, a third year or so four-year students. So that is, again, one of the significant value propositions is not getting anything less on the technical skill side. If anything, getting access to it sooner and running through the technical coursework faster. I, I think one of the things we really pride ourselves on as well is that our students show up to work ready to contribute. They have skills in their pocket that translate to and are applicable to the workplace. And I totally agree. And that's why it feels like I'm giving up my fishing hole. Well, we got a lot of fish in the pond. I think that you I'm do. hopeful that we, we've got more than enough talent to spread around to the employer community. So, well, and, and you mentioned employer community, and I think it's important to share this. Uh, I've been blessed. I was asked to be a part of the advisory group, the business industry leadership team for the cyber program. Mm-hmm. And there were, uh, we had a call a couple weeks ago, seven or eight of us, familiar names in the market. And this isn't just a bunch of professors in a room coming up with what they think the students should know, but you're act- actually, and this probably goes back to your Honda roots, you're listening to employers and understanding what we need to put the students and the graduates to work immediately. And right. th- that, that program of listening isn't just in the IT, you're doing that across the board. Talk about right. that community outreach a little bit, how you're partnering with with employers. Yeah, connection with the Central Ohio employer community is is essential, right? I think so many of our faculty members for one, many of them are, are practitioners still themselves and or former practitioners. So they, they come out of industry, many of them. They value the classroom experiencing being one that really does translate and meets employer needs. If we're failing to produce a student who is is equipped with the knowledge, skills, and abilities to go contribute to the workplace, it really begs the question, what are we doing, right? And acknowledging that the speed of business today is as rapid as it ever has been. So it really underscores the importance of those advisory councils like the one you're participating on, Doug. We can't just sit back and, so to speak, rest on our laurels and say, well, we talked to employers last semester. Uh, I'm sure we're good. You know, it really has to be an ongoing process. And, And then being able to have the agility and nimbleness to respond, right? And it's not on a dime. It certainly isn't on a dime response. But we believe we do have that ability to act in a quick response manner and, and where there's discretion on behalf of the faculty, that they can exhibit that discretion and make sure that they're, again, continuing to meet the ongoing, ever-changing demands of the local workforce. 
So, and I certainly know you have plenty of fish. We have one apprentice and we were stunned. I've talked to you about this before. It was like fantasy football league draft. We had 32 we interviewed in a, in a time where there's supposedly nobody in the market that wants to work. We had right. 32 candidates to choose from and, and got, we, we got one of the two that we, that we wanted and extremely happy with who we have. How does an employer tap into this? The reach out at some point to you? Yeah. Is there a formal way to, to get involved? The absolute best way is to reach out to me directly, Doug, and we can certainly, um, as follow-up, provide my contact information. And we, we begin the conversation. We, you know, we do kind of a traditional diagnostic, if you will, right? It's tell us about your talent woes and understand, is it really about, you know, full-time hires? You know, you're really looking for our graduates who can go to work immediately in the full-time roles. Are you open to this notion of developing your bench, right? Developing the talent, so to speak, before it ever goes to market. And that's really what these apprenticeship, internship, earn and learn programs allow employers to do is you build a relationship with the student while they're still a student. They get to know you. You get to know them. And functionally, if that all goes well, well, it's just a formality to convert them to full time upon degree or certificate completion. Right. And these days in the labor market, if you can get access to the talent before it goes to market, I think you're winning every day. Right. And it also is that trial run, so to speak. Hiring is the most time intensive labor-intensive, in some ways, costly venture that businesses are going to engage in, one where you want to mitigate the risk as much as possible. And again, that's why these earn and learn programs are are so valuable. But yeah, absolutely reach out to us. We go through a series of, of you know exploration to understand where your needs are, where our students can align, and we try to you know align best with that. And sometimes through those discussions, we also learn that not only can we be a provider of talent, but we also, through some of our service delivery, can help upskill um, your incumbent workforce, which was another part of our non-credit workforce side of the house. So I, we have accountants here, obviously eight folks from your accounting program. We have one person from your cybersecurity program. That entire process, that ITFA, the IT Flexible Apprenticeship Program, is programmers, help desks, support talent, as well right. as cyber talent. One of your professors spoke at our manufacturing distribution conference, and so I know supply chains in the mix. Without having you forced to try to memorize and or repeat every program, yes. what programs are in the mix? What what job yeah. categories are in the mix? So on the applied side of the house, those are students who are coming to the college really to get the skills to go to work. Uh, the contrast to that would be students who are coming to get associate of arts or associate of science who are really transfer intended. We have our business engineering and technology division, as the name would suggest, how in there, but not explicitly called out are some of the, you know, traditional trades as well. So construction trades, HVAC, electrician, uh, facilities management. Uh, we also have uh, transportation. So auto aviation management is in there as well. Welding, for example, and then our allied health programs. So, right. So everything you might think of that any of the four major health systems in town might require that aren't necessarily doctors and nurses exclusively. Right. But respiratory therapists, STNAs, LPNs, surgical technicians, our vet tech program also finds its home there. And then, of course, if you haven't been to our campus, you're missing out. We have a phenomenal culinary and hospitality management program as well that resides in our newer Mitchell Hall. I say newer because Mitchell launched in 2019. Like a lot of our facilities had to go dark for a little while during the pandemic, but is back open again. 
houses a wonderful full-service restaurant, degrees, wonderful coffee shop and cafe and blend. It's just an amazing facility. So that's just kind of a high-level overview of some of the programs we have to offer. Suffice it to say that if I have a need, whether it's a single seat that needs to get filled or a class or type of category um, in my business that, that I'm having trouble filling, that conversation is probably going to be worth my while. Oh, I like our chances. Yeah, I would love to take the call, you know, work through that conversation with an employer. Absolutely. So stepping back a little bit, it's obvious from that list that you, not just you, David, but but the program over there keeps your fingers on the pulse of the labor market here. We've got Intel coming to town. That's going to put some pressure on the labor market. We've got Honda announcing the battery plant. That's going to put some pressure on the labor market. Obviously, there's some thought that people are going to move to Columbus, and that's a housing problem not a labor market problem, but from your perspective there, you know, and looking here into the future, what do you see the challenges and benefits for the labor market here in Columbus, that bigger picture? Yeah, I I think we, it all signals opportunity, right, Doug? And I think part of that opportunity is to increase the level of awareness amongst parents and families about uh, what these new employment opportunities are going to be, you know, we've been talking about Intel now for months. I think we got to get more and more young people, especially open to the notion of these technician level roles. Two thirds of the positions at the Intel facility are going to be technician level jobs. Um, They're going to require two year degrees and they're going to be excellent jobs. And this community is quickly becoming one where, you know, a middle income lifestyle is absolutely going to be afforded to you courtesy of a two-year degree. And that doesn't mean that that's where your formal education ends, but can have a tremendous beginning with a two-year degree. And as we often tell our students, get your two-year degree at a very affordable rate, work while you're here, enter the workplace, get settled, you know, get your career off to a start, and absolutely continue your education courtesy of your employer, right? So now you continue to stay financially very stable, you continue to move up professionally. You continue your education that is supported through tuition benefits. The most employers have these days. And your career keeps blossoming. And it was all courtesy of this phenomenal starting point that you had here at Columbus State. But I, I think that's going to be our biggest opportunity is to increase the levels of awareness about these types of jobs. And quite frankly, Doug, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, we got to get more of the Central Ohio community that is detached from the workforce into the workforce. There are way too many good jobs going open every day and way too many people who have not yet found their pathway into employment. We've got to reconcile that as well. So those folks who have been chronically unemployed, significantly underemployed, we've got to make sure we continue to invest in strengthening the pathways to get those folks into those very good jobs as well. I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons why why people end up in that spot. But is some of it just, there's not an awareness of what's available? Is that a piece of it? I think that's absolutely a contributing piece. I think also the impediments and barriers that are both real and contrived that kind of prevent or have precluded people in the past from connecting with these kinds of opportunities that we talk a lot about how, where you reside connects to how much opportunity you may or may not have access to. I think. We still have communities today that are devoid of opportunity, and we've got to fix that, right? So that's why at least part of our effort, and you're going to hear more from the college about this in the coming months, is that we're going to be taking it to the street, so to speak, 
Uh, we're going to be out in the community everywhere that will invite us in to talk about what does it mean to have the semiconductor industry putting a stake down in Central Ohio? What does it mean to have some of these new biotech employers coming into this community? The kinds of jobs are going to be available. But more importantly, how do you get yourself on the pathway to get equipped and prepared and ready to go to work in these environments? Because the nice thing is there's an on-ramp, right? We're still, you know, years, you know, two-ish away from anyone working as a technician at Intel. So we have time to get ready. We have time to prepare, but the clock is ticking. Again, increasing awareness is a, is a really big part of it. So let's get personal. We're both yeah. Miami grads. We found that out because yep. I had I had a well-placed sign on our very first uh, Teams call. Right. But in researching your background, I also found that we've both worked at the Columbus Chamber of Commerce. So That's right. there's another interesting tidbit. And yep. A very different starts to life. I actually began life. My first job was an intern at the state. And then my first real job was, or my full-time job, I guess I should say, was at the chamber. But you started your career as a banker. So how do I go from banking and helping manage money and financial resources to higher education and workforce development and human resources? Well, you know, it, it really starts with how my employment at Bank One began and actually my relationship with Bank One began as a high schooler. So I'm a proud Columbus City Schools graduate, graduate of, uh, of Eastmore High School. And when I was a sophomore or junior, Bank One adopted my high school, which meant opportunities for student leaders. We had a chance to, to go up to Bank One in Westerville and get exposed to their work and practices. And then upon graduation from high school, I got into a program called Inroads. And Inroads placed me as an intern four consecutive summers at Bank One. So this whole notion of internships and early career opportunities it's foundational for me, right? It's really been there as a late teenager. It's, it's foundational to my career. And while working at a financial services institution, I was never really a banker per se. I was always on the HR side of it, process improvement, right. talent management. The last thing I was doing before I left J.P. Morgan Chase in 2008 was I was the college recruitment manager for North America. And in that capacity, I also was overseeing a summer internship program that brought about 300 or so summer interns into the firm each year in about nine markets across the country. So, you know, this, this business that I find myself in today, I've been in for a long time. And this notion of wanting to improve the performance of an organization through its people has kind of been a two decades long tagline for my career. And it got a little bit more granular over time with really trying to improve the performance of an organization through its entry talent and the effective attraction, retention, and development of that talent. So it's really the proverbial Columbus pay it forward, Woody Hayes style. It had an impact on your life and now you're having an impact on, on other people's lives. Yeah, I, I very much so. I mean, I, I don't know where I would be professionally had it not been for the opportunities I had as an 18, 19, 20 year old courtesy of bank one. It was again, an incredible found it's more than anything, incredible mentorship came mm-hmm. out of roles, right? I had, had great jobs. I learned a lot, but it's the people. I'm in relationship with many of those people still today. They forged and developed who I am today. And yes, absolutely. I'm now at that point. I've got some years ahead of me to work and mentorship and development and coaching others is as much a focus of my day-to-day as anything. So what do you see the change? You know, we, we talk about going back to before the pandemic and we you hear the new normal, though you hear that less and less. And things are what they are, where there's not a going back. 
So right. that arc of experience, what do you think are some key things in the labor market? Uh, we wouldn't have thought about improving a business from the entry level up just a few years ago even. And that's a thing now. So what trends have you seen that have come from your background and what do you think is going to continue in terms of the employment trends and, and issues with the labor market that we've got to address? Well, I do think virtual work is something that I don't know if we've spent enough time with it truly. Our hand was forced by way of the pandemic, right? And we figured it out. We, we figured out how to work virtually. We figured out how to remotely. A concern I have is what that, that means for early stage development of entry professionals, right? So the camaraderie that would develop amongst a, a new hire group right out of a college or university setting every year, where is that happening now, right? How are those mentorship and developmental relationships being established? Are they being established? Is my relationship with work really more transactional in nature? You know, I have my responsibilities, I have the assignments and projects that I'm working on, but the relationship piece of it is a lesser component. I don't know. You know, I think that's something, again, where the folks that wake up every day truly in that org development, talent development, career development space, you know, how do we do what we've always done? through new and innovative modalities, right? A classic kind of what versus how conversation. I've been in the entry talent space ever since we were talking about millennials entering the workplace, right? The millennials are coming. The millennials are coming. I think that was probably like a cover story in Business Week, probably in the mid to late 2000s. Well, now the millennials are mid to late 30s. They're senior managers in some cases, right? Right, right. Now, really, right, it's about Gen Zers enter the workplace and what do they bring? So these are young people who have been absolutely forged by technology. The pandemic was, was a really crucial part of who they are. What do they bring into the workplace, right? And now how are the younger boomers who are now beginning to exit the workplace, leaving Xers as predominant senior leadership, developing a mid and upper level manager group consisting of millennials, but your frontline you know, emerging talent now are Gen Z folks. Who are they? What do they bring with them? They are, they are very different, like every generation that has come before them. I think that's it's going to be the, kind of the same thing that we've always experienced, Doug, is how do we welcome these new folks in? But I, I think you made a great point, and I'll close with this, that there is going to be a legacy of the pandemic. Its presence will loom. Its presence will loom, and I think the relationship piece of our lives, how relationships are forged, how do people connect, what does that look like? at least what we're experiencing, right? And, and I think, I can't remember, I just saw another article about this recently, is that the first wave of pandemic kids are effectively in college now, right? Those who had a significant disruption to their high school careers are in college. And the transition is proving difficult. I don't care gender, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status. This transition from a disrupted high school experience into college is proving to be challenging for most students who, who are coming out of that storyline. So um, that's another thing too, at least in the higher ed space that we're keeping an eye on is how we welcome and embrace and, and support the success of students who had a significantly disrupted uh, high school experience. Yeah, my youngest, my youngest is a junior at Miami. He graduated uh, online from Hilliard Darby High School in 2020, um, entered Miami, the experience that you and I had with, like, I think it's three or four days, you go down right. there as a freshman and you read the book and you do things right. in the corridor and none of that happened. 
And um, it was until his sophomore year that he really, really found his footing, doing great, thriving down there. But it, that experience multiplied out by all the other students in his in his generation. Yeah, that's going to be impactful. And we just don't know. Right. But I think the way we forge relationships and how we connect with people, I, I think, is going to be different. And, and how it looks really, I think, will be driven by the folks who are most impacted by it. And those are the, you know, the early 20 somethings and late teenagers who, again, probably experienced that maybe such a crucial time as their high school years. Well, I can think back to when my boys were little and they would two or three friends would bring Xboxes over and they would network them together. And then <laughs> then it became to be they're playing on the Xbox late at night, communicating. And that's the skill. I, oddly enough, that's the skill that some of us need. And they did. They've grown up with it. It's it's tremendous. Um, it's great that they're, the Columbus State, either for those students who grew up that way, can get polished up a little bit or those students that might be in an older cohort get a little bit of that technology, but also be able to rewire a lot of different types of students come through Columbus State. The The stories that we saw interviewing 32 people was just amazing, um, the amount of diversity, but also adding life experience into that diversity pile. Now, there were people from overseas, there were people from inner city, there were people from the suburbs that had taken a wrong turn, there were people that had done well in their career and just didn't like it anymore. That's tremendous. You're having that impact. We've got the final countdown. I've got some questions for you. What did you dream of becoming when you were in middle school? Yeah, middle school, Dave Kofer, I think, would have loved to have had a career that somehow intersected with pro sports, particularly the NBA. I mean, being a kid of the 80s, the NBA was really kind of heyday that time. I love the NBA and anything about it. I would have loved to have done something that would have been in the business side of sports. Who inspires you? Lots of people inspire me. I'm inspired by people who have, you know, traveled a path that had far more obstacles and barriers than mine. And most days, it's our students. I am absolutely inspired by the Columbus State student population because I know so many of them are traveling a path that I don't know that I could have succeeded along. So I'd say our students here at Columbus State inspire me. They had an impact on our entire team. The entire team was involved in interviewing. Mm -hmm. Some of the stories that we heard were very heartwarming, not heartbreaking, but heart heartwarming. But you're right. I'm not sure I could go through some of what some of those students have done to climb the ladder to where they're at and continue to climb. That's right. Yeah. What is your favorite life hack? You know, I like to surround myself with really smart people. And that has done me very well. You know, that being relationship oriented and connecting with folks who are far brighter than myself has um, proven to, to treat me pretty well so far. So that's probably it. Surround yourself with really smart people. And sounds like you've had a great career, but there's been a failure here or there. We all have them. What's your most valuable failure? Yeah, well, you know, I think the way my, my life outlook probably precludes me from labeling any one of them a failure per se, but just the lessons learned and, and how you, a couple things, I tell my kids the same thing is that what when you look back and if it was painful and it hurt, you got to find the thing that allows you to be better the next time, right? So I think the lessons that emerge, the growth that emerges, anytime it's been one of those, oh man, that really hurt. I don't think I want to do that again, or I don't want to have to go through that again. What do I learn from this? The conviction, the strength that comes from emerging on the other side of it, right? That, wow, I went through that thing. It hurt a little bit, but here I am standing on my feet again. I know that next time when I confront the really difficult thing, 
I'm ready because I've been through it before, right? And I think those are probably some of the, the most important things that have emerged from maybe those things that didn't go quite as I had planned. Lastly, you obviously work very hard. How do you play to balance life? For me, it's all about my family. Every opportunity I have to spend with my wife and my two kids, um, whether it's camping, one of our, you know, people bought uh, our, our welcome pets into their families during the pandemic. Uh, we purchased a travel trailer. So we love to get out and camp every weekend that is free. You know, as long as the daytime temperatures are above 45 degrees, uh, we, <laughs> love to, we love to be out in our travel trailer around the state parks, around uh, the Ohio area. That's what we like to do. Anything outside with family is uh, how I like to unwind. Well, we share that, though. I don't do it in a, in a trailer, but if, when my kids were younger, probably would have. But yeah, we have a group that hikes every week. We started in the pandemic, and I think to get out and off the screens yes. is a really important thing in life. Uh, couldn't agree more. Yep, got to breathe that fresh air every so often. David, thanks for joining. Thanks again for the opportunity to be a part of this. I really do appreciate it. Thanks, David. Time's up. Thanks for listening to this episode of Empower Hour. Join us next time by subscribing to Empower Hour on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your preferred listening platform. Want more GBQ? We don't blame you. Visit us online at gbq.com for the business news and advice that matters most. Who is empowering your growth?